Welcome back to Ask Me Anything, where Pastor J.D. Greer answers your questions. We are actually in the middle of a bonus series as J.D. is answering some of life's biggest questions. This series is called 12 Truths and a Lie. In this episode, we're going to talk about what are the most important practices in a Christian's life. So let's start with what is known as the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And behold, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, in English, there are several verbs in that sentence. Um, Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. But in Greek, there's actually only one verb, and that verb is make disciples. All the other words that are translated as verbs into English are actually what we call participles in Greek, which means they modify the verb. The verb in that sentence is the central thing, and that means the other things are extension of or applications of that verb. You say, thank you, J.D., for the grammar lesson, so what? Make disciples is the only verb in the Great Commission, which means that it is central to what it means to follow Jesus, and that means everything else that we do, the going, the teaching, the baptizing and all the rest is an extension of that. They're the participles to the central verb, make disciples. For everything else that the church does, make disciples is the center. It's the core. I first learned that concept from a book I read in college. It was written in uh, 1962. I wasn't in college then, but it's a classic book, which, you know, the definition of a classic book is a book lots of people have heard about, but nobody's read. Um, This is a classic book I would encourage you to read. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. In that book, Coleman says, and I quote, The Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples, to build men and women like themselves who were so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only follow Jesus themselves, but, and this is the key here, led others to follow him too. The criteria upon which any church should measure its success is not how many new names are added to the role, nor how much the budget is increased, but rather how many Christians are actively winning souls and training them to win the multitudes. Most churches judge their success by how many attend, right? Or how many decisions or how many baptisms they count, but heaven doesn't celebrate any of those numbers. Heaven only celebrates disciples. So we've got to ask the question, what is a disciple, if that's the the central thing, to make disciples. First, what is a disciple? And then second, what is my role and your role in the disciple-making process? Let's take those one at a time. Number one, what is a disciple? If you've been in church, you probably recognize the word disciple, but otherwise, that's honestly not a super common word in our culture. It's one of those words that Christians use, but very few other people do. Here's how I know that. Every time I try to type discipling into a document, my computer auto-corrects it to discipline. So clearly, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates didn't get what a disciple was. The word we translate as disciple comes from the Hebrew word talmid, which was actually a quite common word in the first century. It wasn't even an exclusively religious word. A talmid was kind of like a student, but much, much more. Aspiring Jewish religious and community leaders would find a, a rabbi, a teacher, someone they wanted to be like and whose cause they believed in, and you would go and sit at their feet as a talmid. Sitting at their feet was like your application to learn from them. 
And so they would examine you. Uh, they would ply you with questions. They would watch your life, give you little tests. And if they thought that you would make a worthy Talmud, a disciple, somebody who would carry on their cause and would represent the cause well, then they would allow you to follow them. And you would follow them for the next several years, imitating their every move. Uh, in fact, here's a good little statement to write down if you happen to be taking notes on this. A disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but do what his master did. This is a great little statement from a guy named Ray von der Laan, who's a kind of an expert on, on things in the first century there. He says, a disciple did not merely want to know what his master knew, but also to do whatever his master did. Supposedly, the highest compliment you could give to a Talmud, a disciple, was to say, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. That was not like, hey, dude, you need to go take a bath because you're dirty. It was, it meant that you're following the path of your master, your rabbi, so closely that whatever he steps in splashes up on you. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. So again, a disciple is not merely wanting to know what his master knew, but to do what his master does by following closely in his master's steps and imitating everything he does. And that idea of being a disciple is what summarizes and encapsulates the Christian life. Did you know that the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament total? But the word disciple is used 281 times. Now, unfortunately, we've substituted the word disciple out with Christian. That's what we were. We don't say these are disciples. We say these are Christians. But the Christian now is much more of almost like a demographic classification or a belief system. Disciple, the focus was on what you did. And in switching out those words, disciple and Christian, we've kind of lost the focus on discipleship, following Jesus as imitation and reproduction. Which brings me to what I like to call the five core identities of a disciple. At our church, the Summit Church that I'm privileged to pastor in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, we use these five identities to encapsulate what following Jesus means, what it looks like. Think of this as our attempt to simplify discipleship and put some handles on it. Ultimately, of course, following Jesus means doing whatever he says, but it starts with adopting these five identities. We've also paired each of these identities with a couple of immediate action steps, and I'm going to share those with you too as, as we go through them. Think of these as like the most essential things that a follower of Jesus, a disciple, is trying to do. Thanks for listening. Get more 12 Truths and a Lie, answers to life's biggest questions from Pastor J.D.'s upcoming book by clicking the link in the show notes below. We'll answer more of your questions next week here on Ask Me Anything. Ask Me Anything.